This is Marcus Aurelius Anderson, TEDx speaker, best-selling author of the book, The Gift of Adversity, Mindset Master Coach, and I am here with my brother, Angelo Lilac. Listen, if you want to know how to get stronger, if you want to know how to perform, if you want to go to the next level, you need to be following the people's coach. You need to learn more about how to take yourself to the next level. And frankly, this is a man that I truly know, love, and trust. So listen to this interview. And if you're not asking yourself where the gift in your adversity is, you're about to find out. You're thinking, ah, it's too late for change. You're already established and life is good, but it's definitely not great. Welcome to The People's Coach, your guide to living with more purpose and fulfillment. This is how life optimization should be. Brought to you by our host, Angelo Lilac. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Before we get the show started, make sure you follow me at angelolilock.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-O-L-I-L-O-C.com. And if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll get our weekly updates straight to your mailbox. Any prizes, giveaways, coaching calls that I'm giving out to you guys will be all on there. So you can follow my personal brand, and I would love to interact with you guys more. I appreciate you guys. I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. Let's get to the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the People's Coach Podcast. I'm Angelo. I'm your host. And today's guest has one of the most interesting names ever in history. But even before that, he's doing some amazing things. First of all, he's a best-selling author of The Gift of Adversity, where he talks, talks about his story of dying on the operating table twice. He's a TEDx speaker. He's a highly sought-after mindset and leadership coach. He's the host of the Acta Nonverba podcast. He's an entrepreneur. He's an Army veteran. He was part of my leadership council at Modern Fitness. Let's all welcome my good friend, my brother, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Man, thank you for having me. I love that intro. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. I, it's all downhill from here. It's going to be hard for me to live up to it. So, <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to do something special for you, brother. There's there's a little a little bit more of a surprise when this podcast actually comes out for you, um, and it just goes to show my level of respect for you, my love for you, and how crucial you've been in my life, personally, outside of. Being an Arte brother, which we're both repping the shirts. Oh yeah, got to. <laughs> um, you've you've been a brother in life, and you've helped me get through some really dark times, some very confusing times. And part of that is because I trust you and the person you are. I trust your heart to give me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. That's that's what we're supposed to do. Coaches aren't paid to blow smoke up people's asses. Um, and sometimes being lost on the path is part of the path. We mm. expect it to be laid out for us. We expect it to be perfectly marked, all the brush to be pushed away. We have cement and it's easy for us to walk, but our path is always difficult to find because we're evolving as people. And if you see a path before you that is easily laid, chances are it's not your path. Mm. Ooh. Man, I knew you would bring this fire right off the bat. We're not even like three minutes yet. So I, 
I want to back up a little bit because there's there's thousands and thousands of thousands of people that know who you are already, not just because of your best-selling book, The Gift of Adversity, which we're going to get into in a minute, but also because of your TEDx and, and the clients and the type of massive, massive companies you're coaching and leadership and mindset. So there's a lot of people that already know you. So let's give a quick rewind, a recap of a little bit of What's brought you here today? And I'm going to lead some of that because I know by going through your book, The Gift of Adversity, which was such, man, you know how to tell a freaking story, brother. You know how to tell sure. a freaking story. And honestly, I, I've, I like reading hardcover books, but when I found out that you were reading your own audio book, I was like, got to buy that one too. Yeah, the Audible... Um I'm kind of the way you are. I'm an old school guy. I love to read the book and fill it and yes. write in it and dog ear it and beat it up. But I know that people enjoy audible books and um, it took me a couple of years to get on the bandwagon, but now I'm having even more people reach out and saying, you know, hearing it in your own voice, like you said, the storytelling to hear it with for, from me, it makes more of an impact. And so it's a, uh, I apologize. It took so long, but I think the end product is something I'm very proud of, just like the, the written book. And oh, yeah. if it's something that helps people, which it seems to be helping a lot of people, then I'm honored to continue to do this work and, and help people demand more of themselves. You know, I, I'll tell you this. I don't think I've, I've actually told you this. And you and I are, are close, right? But yeah. I don't think I've ever told you that there's people that are like, oh, have you, have you either read the book of adversity or you know that guy, Marcus guy? I was like, that's my boy right there. That's, I, that's my boy right there. That is his story. And I, I, I can't help but speak with all this excitement and enthusiasm as I introduce you just because all those accolades I listed out are nothing compared to what you're, you've been through and what you're doing right now. Those little, I don't want to say little because like these, they're, they're huge, but in comparison, you're doing some really big things. And one of the things I really want to dive into is in your book, you start off, you're in boot camp, right? You were, you, you started, um, you started your army career in the infantry at 38 years old, correct? Yep. 38. I was 39 by the time I actually got to infantry school. Yeah. And I remember in the book, you were talking about that they had to make an exception for you because the cutoff was like 35, 36. Right. They had to sign a waiver to get me in and I had to pass all the physical standards above the standard to make sure that I wasn't going to get broke off in the first week. And you killed it. I, I did. I, well, I mean, I, I, I did as the best that I could. I, uh, I had six months after I signed my contract and I did everything. Like we talk about how without a deadline, time means nothing. Knowing that you have a contract with Uncle Sam, that you're going to Fort Benning in six months, whether you're ready or not, man, that will push you and motivate you like nothing else will. So mm -hmm. being a person who's a civilian that's in shape is one thing, but being in shape for like law enforcement or the military, it's like, how many push-ups can you do? How many setups can you do? How many pull-ups can you do? How fast can you run? How much weight can you put on your back and then go quickly? And those are things that we don't always have as standards. Lots of times in, in society, the, sta the standard in society often moves to make people mm. feel better or to be politically correct or to not offend this person. But in combat, we do not have the luxury of political correctness. So you either did all the push-ups or you didn't. You either put 100 pounds on your back and ran 25 miles or you didn't. And if you didn't, I'm sorry, you don't make the cut. 
and now we move on to the next person because there are so many people that want this potential. And that's mm-hmm. what we have to do as human beings in every part of our lives. And that, that was a big wake up call and it was a big gut check for me. And at 38 years old, you know, and, and kind of having this limitation, Uncle Sam say, okay, what's your past 35, 36, sorry, we don't want you. What was your mindset going into there? Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to enlist at 38 years old. Like, were you kind of, let's just see what happens. Or were you like dead set on, I'm going to make this work. Like, what was your mindset behind that? No, there, there was only one level of commitment for me and that's total, just like you and I always talk about. So mm-hmm. there's no plan B, there's no contingency. I put all my eggs in that basket because at that point in my life, I had just gotten divorced. I was in chiropractic school. My great uncle, who was my biggest male role model outside of my father had just passed away. So this was like getting divorced, him passing away not long after that. It made me look at my life really, really hard. So mm-hmm. that was that thing that made me examine, why am I doing this? Is this what I want? Is this what somebody else wants? And I realized after my, my great uncle was in Vietnam, he was the special forces. He, when I went to his funeral, he had the full military regalia of mm. 21 gun salute. You know, all these people went to eulogize him for his honor and his, his valor. And it reminded me that I wanted to do that, but I always had an excuse. And as I was being very honest and I wasn't bullshitting myself, I looked at it and I was like, well, what's stopping me now? I'm, I don't have any kids. I'm not married. I talked to the school and they're like, we'll pause your degree if you want to actually go in active. But that's the only way you can do it is you have to be active. Well, that's fine. I want to be full time. I want to do this all the way. And when I talked to the recruiter, that was the, the beginning. At what, when I asked him what the age limit was and he said 35, he asked me how old I was. And I was saying, I said 38. And I went to turn and he's like, well, tell me, you know, why do you want to do this? And I was like, you know, with all due respect, don't waste my time if this is not going to happen. Mm. But as we sort of unpacked it and I did some of the, the, I did a PT test there for him, a mock PT test. I maxed it out for my age. And he's like, okay, I'll keep talking to you. And that was the beginning. And so when I got to infantry school, there was no other choice in my mind. I either make this work or I don't know what the hell else I'm going to do with my life. And sometimes that's what happens in life is everybody knows what they need to do. It's inside you already. Right. But lots of other things happen. Life commitments from other people, other people's priorities becoming our priorities and we lose sight and we lose connection with what that thing is. And for me, I didn't have to know what everything was if we're talking about a path. Right. I just knew that this general direction is where I needed to go. And by walking with that commitment, everything else began to slowly unfold before me. Even the things that happened after that, that led me to here today. Man, there's so many things to unpack there. You know, you hit on so many big topics of commitment. And and why, like, in my mind, when, when people say, don't put your eggs in, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? I feel like there's part of that as people make this excuse as to, I don't go all in just in case. Just in case my plan A doesn't work out, my B and C might still be okay. And you and I have had extensive conversations on the phone about this where, Life is when you go all in on your plan A and maybe your definition or our definition of plan A really isn't God's definition of plan A, but that will lead to the next. That's it. The the thing is, I I say that adversity offers you no other choice. And when there's no other Mm -hmm. choice, the choice is simple. So if you leave yourself no other choice other than to succeed, 
That means you will not compromise on your exercise, on your commitment to your family, on your commitment to yourself, on your commitment to your spirituality or your personal development or your physicality, because you know that any area that you compromise on will bleed over into every other circle of your life. And then that will literally pollute and dilute everything else that you do from there on out. So every moment is a decision. Is this interview getting us closer to where we need to be or further away? I know this is getting us closer. That's the only reason I'm on the phone with you right now or on Zoom with you right now. If this water is not going to help me get closer to where I need to be, I won't be consuming it. I'm fasting today because I know that that's going to help me get to another level. That's going to help me be more clear for our conversation. That's going to help me give more to you and your audience. So everything that we do has a repercussion or an expectation but if we don't take that accountability and if we don't take responsibility for those things, all we're doing is just kind of wasting our time. And in today's society, it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy for people to say, don't commit to this, you know, and you have to understand some people are doing it because they are legitimately concerned for you. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to feel badly about what happens, but the other people don't want to see you succeed because it reminds them that they have compromised that they have given mm. up, that they are not pushing hard enough. And unfortunately for those people, you can never do little enough to make them feel justified in their behavior. But for those of us that see adversity as a gift, it's the same adversity, but we choose to let the adversity rise us up and force us to get to another level while other people use adversity as an excuse to stay mediocre. And I can't help those people because you cannot save somebody that does not want to be saved. Okay. I, you hit on some really big points. You said taking responsibility. You talked about compromise and you talked about, you can't help people that don't want to be saved in your book. There's a huge, literally life-changing event that happened. And in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity to share that and, and walk us through that a little bit. But this pivotal moment was the whole was what gave birth to the gift of adversity. Did you have this mindset already, like going into basic, like all these, exactly the markets that we see now, was that, were you kind of like that already when you went to basic? I, I was, um, all this knowledge. Yeah. All this knowledge, like all this philosophy. I've done martial arts since I was 11. I've studied philosophy, mm. tried to start studying it when I was 12. A lot of it went over my head, but between Stoicism, Taoism, Zen, Buddhism, you know, Bushido, these ideas, these martial ideals, mm. those sort of bake in this idea of ethos, this idea of, of these, these strengths that we're trying to, to cultivate. But th the real answer was I wasn't really, really embracing it. I was still sort mm. of here and there. Yeah, that's a good idea here. But, you know, over here I can kind of slack or I can kind of set back. And the reality is we have to have something that will force us, that will give us no other choice to push. And for so many of us, because society is a lot more comfortable than it's ever been, yeah, we, we lead into that. And the reality is pain and discomfort are the best teachers. Mm. So in today's society, what do they say? What's the cycle? You know, an easy society makes weak men. Weak men make a bad society. Bad society creates strong men, strong men create good, good times all over again. So mm -hmm. we see these, these things evolving. And let's be honest, when you get beyond Maslow's hierarchy of needs of just food, of just water, of just protection, of course, we all want to go in and start cultivating relationships. 
right. you know, all those things are important, but we're at a, a point in time right now where technology and freedom, at least for a lot of people in the developed countries, they have unlimited resources in those ways. We have more technology right now, what you and I are speaking on than the people had to get to the moon, right? So right. with all these things that are at our fingertips, food is delivered to us at the touch of a button. If I want to get on a date, I get on a dating app. If I want to find out whatever it is, it can be done for me. But in so doing, people have lost sight of the things that make us better, that make us stronger, that force us to adapt. And without something to force that adaptation, we think that we're not slipping, but we are. We're always sliding a little bit further. And what have I always told you? What have we always talked about? The reality that in this life, you're either moving closer to what you want or closer to what you don't want. You're either getting closer or further away. So you have to decide. There's no lateral motion. People like to think that there is. People like to think that if I put this on pause for a moment, or if I procrastinate, the time will wait for me, but time waits for no man. So we have to understand, we do not have that luxury of waiting. Even if we think, oh, I'm gonna wait on this, it keeps going, things keep going. And hesitation is something that will kill men in battle. It will kill dreams in this world. It will kill relationships. And until we are willing to embrace those things readily, consistently, and run towards that gunfire, we will always be less than what we could be. And if you're a leader, if you're a coach, if you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're somebody in the community that anybody else looks up to, and that means everybody listening to us, that means you owe it to these people to get better. People don't do what you say that you're going to do, or people don't say to do something. People do what you do. I've had more people that change their life by watching what I do, as opposed to listening to a TEDx talk or a book. And that's fantastic. They have to see that as the beginning. But until they, it's like, oh, this book looks good. And then they, they look it up and they go, oh, Marcus ran the four by four by 48. He ran four miles every four hours, 48 hours straight and raised money to, for charity to stop human trafficking. That's what a leader does. And guess what? I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm asking you to look at the fact that I'm trying to walk the talk, that mm. I'm trying to demand more from myself because how the hell can I ask somebody else to, to demand more from themselves if I'm not doing it, if I'm not living it? What you did yesterday was great, Marcus. What are you doing now? Mm. Who are you helping now? What information are you learning that you can give to other people now? There may be knowledge that I acquire that may not serve me in this moment, but it may serve somebody else. So for me to just rest on my laurels and not try to educate myself, that means that I'm letting people around me down and I cannot live with that. That's powerful, brother. That's powerful. I know the people listening and watching right now are probably just like, like a little slap in the face because how many times do we say, I'm going to start working out? or I'm going to get into my fitness, or I'm going to be more active in my kid's life, or I'm going to pay attention to the staff that I have in my business. I'm going to be a better leader. But then there's the adversity, right? They're, instead of getting them closer, they're using it to push them further away. And in, your, and in your specific case and in your story, I'm so glad this adversity brought you to where you are today, the powerful, strong, influential leader that you are showing up to today. And walk us through a little bit of that time where, you know, in the book, you talk about you start to get like numbness in your hands and your feet, correct? And you did such a great job of, 
like I, like I said, the audiobook, everyone, like I'm, I'm not a huge audiobook person, but if it's my brother that's reading his own story, you bet your ass I'm going to listen to that. And it was really cool to listen to that, to you say it. I've heard you tell me this story multiple, multiple times. Now, give everyone a quick recap of what that was like and what, what that led into. So for me, I got through infantry school. I got through advanced individualized training. I got stationed with my unit. I got stationed in upstate New York with 10th Mountain Light Infantry Division. And at that time, they were the most deployed unit in the history of the military. Um, 10th Mountain, if you've heard of Black Hawk Down, if you've read the book, or if you've heard of Operation Anaconda, it's all of the infantry units in the U.S. Army are, are illustrious. There's always a lot of pride there because infantry are the ones that are put in the bad positions. And we have to get it out. We have to figure it out. And that's what makes us better. Having said that, I got stationed with my unit. And as I'm there, they say, listen, we're going to be deploying soon. So I immediately go into that deployment training and we're, we're ramping up. In 2012, when I'm preparing to deploy, all this numbness in my hands and my feet starts getting worse and worse. And we did that week, a 25 mile ruck march with half my body weight. So I had 90 pounds on my back, 50 pounds of body armor, my M4 ammo. You're doing this in negative 20 degree weather. The wind chill is crazy. It's snowing, it's icing. You were in a gas mask to, to simulate oxygen deprivation because in Afghanistan, you're gonna be in the mountains. That's what we specialize in. Get through that thing, do 25 miles with that. But even then I'm having a hard time moving my hands and my feet. Long story short, I. I try to wake up Saturday morning and roll out of bed and my neck will move a little bit, but the rest of my body will not articulate. And what's happened is I ruptured a disc in my neck and that paralyzed me from the neck down. They rushed me to the hospital. They send me in, they get an MRI and they say, listen, you know, the disc in your neck ruptured, we're going to have to operate on you. I I'm, I'm in denial, but they push me into the operating room. I don't really have a choice. And they say, just try to relax and, um, and breathe, put the, the um, anesthesia over my, my face and I get to about 98. And uh, for me, it's very cold and it's very dark. And I feel like I'm there for a second, but I also feel like I spend an eternity there. Mm. Wake up in the ICU, um, confused. And I've got my neck brace. They got me in a neck brace. So now I can't even move what I, what little movement I had is taken from me. And I, was this all a bad dream or whatever? And they say, no, 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 you know, you, you survived in the ICU, try to recover. Uh, the doctor, the surgeon comes in to see me, sits at the base of, the, of my bed and he says, the good news is you get to live to tell the tale because we lost you twice on the table and we didn't think we were gonna be able to get you back. He's like, the good news is you get to live to tell the tale. The bad news is you're gonna be like this for the rest of your life. It's just not gonna come back. So, and I had just turned 40 years old at that point. So that's why in the TEDx, I say, you know, I, I woke up in a bed, broke, divorced, paralyzed and bedridden, trying to figure out what the hell do I do? Because as we said before, I had put all of my eggs in this basket. I had done everything and I'm mad as hell at this point. I'm, I'm actually in denial but I'm still very angry at this point because to me, I done everything correctly. You know, why does this happen to me? Mm -hmm. Life isn't fair. I'm a good person. Why I did this for the right reasons. And for so many of us, if you're going through adversity now, you have to understand it's almost impossible to find the gift in that adversity when you were in the middle of it. 
Mm, yeah. When you're in the heat of it, you can't see past it. And we like to think that we can, but human nature says, this is different because it's me. And the reality is adversity doesn't like, give a shit about your opinion. And you have to take that in consideration. And once you stop trying to be the exception, once you stop it, trying to resist it and you embrace it and say, okay, this is the way it is. What am I going to do? That's when the work begins. And that's when you figure out what the hell you really made out of. What was that? What was that timeline looking like? I mean, I, I, I can only imagine what that feels like to, to wake up and, Hey, good news, but more bad news. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you're just kind of like laying there in a, in a, in a way helpless. Like what? You wake up into this nightmare. Like what was the timeline between that recovery of, okay, you know what? I got to make a decision. Life, like, you know what, what Ed teaches us at, uh, in Arate, life happens for us and not to us. How long before you, all that training, all that mental conditioning, all these things you were learning, these lessons, how long until that kicked into gear? And like, you know what? These are the circumstances. These are the cards I'm dealt with. And I just got to make the most of it. Yeah. And that's the thing. So like you said, I had all this knowledge already. Mm -hmm. I had all this information in my mind. But it still took me four months of just being livid, of angry. Because at the first, the first week I was in denial. I was like, whatever. Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm, I'll get better. I'll walk this thing off. I mean, he just told me I died, right? I can, if I can overcome death, I can overcome this walking thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's not as simple as that. So it took me four months of just being angry being, I was angry and I was projecting on everybody around me, but the person I was the most angry at was myself because I realized as, as warriors, okay. If our physicality is our existence and that's our meaning and that's the way that we, our vocation, right. And that is ripped away from you. Mm. I went from going to being just a civilian that was in decent shape to a person who was doing things that I never even thought possible. And to have that taken from me and now I can't even wipe my own ass. I'm sitting in a bed. That's a, that's a huge, huge disempowerment. So for four months, I just sat there and I was mad at everybody around me. And then I was depressed. Anger that is directed inward is the very definition of depression. Mm. And I was suicidal at that point. But I can't even take my own life, right? I, can't, I don't even mm. have the physicality to do that. So I have no other choice. There is nothing else that I have. So I'm mad about every nap that I took when I could have been doing more. I'm mad at all the times that I put stuff off until tomorrow. I'm mad at all the people that I didn't say that I love you to. I was mad at all the opportunities that I taken for granted. I was mad that I had taken all my talent all the time, all the natural proclivities that I had that I thought that I would have forever. When that was taken from me, it made me realize, wow. And everybody says, well, you know, if you're, you know, if you, if you don't actualize your life and you die, you know, you don't, some people believe it doesn't really even matter because you're not going to be here to, to, to see the, the repercussions. But the reality is for me, this was a fate worse than death hmm. to live 40 years of your life, physically able, and then to live the next 40 or 50 years bedridden, completely dependent upon other people to take care of you. That's something that will really slap you in the face. It will wake you up from the slumber of mediocrity real quick. And that's where I was. And that's what forced me to start looking at those things. The point when things started to change for me, the real answer is this. I wanted desperately to walk again, desperately. I wanted desperately to be able to use my physicality again. But 
as I looked at this, this was my chance to unpack all of this and say, wow, it made me have the opportunity to look at the shit right in front of me that I didn't want to look at. Mm-hmm. And it made me look at the loss of, of my grand, my great uncle that I never really acknowledge. It made me grieve over the loss of my marriage. And from there, I just went all the way back as far as I could remember. I went from my divorce to my parents' divorce and just unpacked everything that had happened to me and tried to find the common thread. And the common thread was every one of those things taught me something. Every one of those things made me level up my resilience and made me understand that adversity was a gift. And that was the beginning of it. And for me, that made me understand also that I wasn't really being grateful. I was claiming that I was being grateful and I know that gratitude is a big buzzword right now. And everybody has mm-hmm. little fin- fancy cursive notes, you know, notebooks where they say, Oh, I'm grateful. But the reality is most people are bullshitting their gratitude. Most people are cherry picking the things that they like about their life. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, Oh, I'm grateful for this because it's something that they like, but they are never grateful for the person that slows them down in traffic or is taking too long in line at the bank Ooh. or at the coffee shop, right? Nobody's ever grateful for that. Mm. They're pissed off at that person. And now they belittle that person. And now they judge that person. And now they make that person out to be this horrible human being. And the reality is that's when you should be learning. You should learn to be grateful for this stuff, not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff. Because in this life, your entire life is never going to be always great. And if you live 75% of your life in this place where you're not grateful for what's going on, then you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Also, you're not going to be present to learn the lesson that may help somebody else in the process. And I know that was a long answer, but the reality is for me, once I started seeing adversity truly as a gift instead of a curse, and I started embracing it entirely and had genuine gratitude for everything in my life, that's when I started getting a little bit of movement back in my hands. Mm. Now, it wasn't much, but it helped me begin to believe that there was a chance for me to recover. And that was the beginning. Oh man, that's so good. That's so good. I mean, the whole gratitude, and even then, right? Like people listening or watching right now could be like, well, you're only able to twitch your fingers a little bit. Maybe, I think when you first told me the story, you couldn't even grab a water bottle yet, right? Right. You know, so you it eventually like, you got, you're doing, you did four, four, 48, right? Like shit. Yeah. 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 It's, but to start off with, I can't even make a fist, a strong, solid fist enough to hold a water bottle. And even then you had gratitude. Well, because then it was, it was a little bit of progress. And like I've told you before, for me, I looked at my injury and said, okay, did anybody benefit from this? And Zen, they had this idea where they take, they say, take yourself out of the equation because it's not about you. It's never about us. We always think it is, but it's really not. So when I took myself out of the equation and said, did anybody benefit from my injury? I was like, no. And then I realized, no, if I'd have been in Afghanistan when this happened, if we'd have actually deployed at that point for every one man that is injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety. So that means we've been in Afghanistan and we would have been in a hot zone. That means that my team would have been compromised. That means another team would have had to cover down. That means there would have been a helicopter they had to bring me in. And when I itemized it like that, I was able to see that, man, there's like 50 or 60 other people whose lives would have been put in harm's way had this happened over there. Mm. And that was when I was able to step back literally and say, wow, I'm lucky. 
And that was the beginning because it's so easy for us to not be grateful for stuff. It's so easy for us to take things for granted. So for me, even that small amount of movement in my hands, even if that's all I got, that was better than where I was. It's grateful. And I've you never need- looked back after that. Ever, ever since then, I've just pushed, pushed, pushed in a positive way. I still rest. I still take care of everything else. But I understand that if I'm given a second chance, I'm never going to wait. I'm never going to hesitate. I'm never going to compromise. I'm going to live life on my own terms, whatever that looks like. I'm going to follow this path because that's what got me here. And if it hadn't been for that, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. Amen to that. You know, these, these experiences and situations and, and, and life events that happen, we don't take the lessons. We don't get the lessons until afterwards, right? It's always in hindsight. Like in the moment, it sucks. This is, this is crap. But when you look at it all, it's added up into where we are today. And to have true gratitude of where we are today, I believe, dude, that's living. Because it's easy to play the comparison game, especially with the rise of social media and you're looking at people with jets and younger people like doing all this crypto crazy shit. And I'm like, I'm over here like doing a podcast. <laughs> you know, like, what, what are we doing? Comparison, it's like, it doesn't help anyone. But on the flip side, it can also give you a marker to go after. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people use it on, you know, in a negative way, in a lack way. This person has this, I don't have that. But I think people who have achieved high levels of greatness can look at comparison as like, okay, that's just mile marker number one. Yeah, people, people say that comparison is the thief of joy, but it's actually the creator of excellence mm. because it forces you to compare yourself, maybe not to somebody else even. It doesn't have to be about that. But again, it forces me to, dis- to compare myself to the markets that I was an hour ago, to the markets that I was 10 years ago, to the markets that I will be in 10 years. And hopefully, I've leveled up multiple times in every arena of my life in the next year, let alone 10 years. But if I haven't done more to change the people around me or the people that follow me or the people that buy my book or the people that learn from me as a coach, then I'm not doing my job. So it's all about the higher that I can use that tie to rise me, I rise everyone else, right? That That's what brings all the boats up. And uh, again, and here's where it's important. As a leader, you have to build that within people around you because as a leader, there will be times when we may be burned out. We may be sick. We may be injured. We may not be hundred percent. We may not be firing on all cylinders. And those people around you that you have been leading their natural enthusiasm and motivation will actually create momentum into you. So it's almost like you're all rowing on this boat and maybe you miss a stroke or two. That's okay. These people keep going and they will inspire you to get back in there. They will inspire you to row harder. They will inspire you to get back on course. But if you're not leading people around you, whether that be in a team, whether that be in a relationship, whether it be in a community, or whether that be on social media, without that, it's very easy to feel like you're getting burned out, to feel like you're way down, to feel like you're never going to get there, wherever there is for you. Hmm. I, I want to take this. I want to I pivot a little bit because you and I have had a lot of big 
conversations about leadership. And I know that's one of the things that people bring you on to their companies for. Generally speaking, without naming any names, because I know you work with a lot of big, big name folks. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge a leader faces today? Currently, like in the midst of this COVID pandemic, everything's kind of moving online. What do you personally think? What are you seeing right now that leaders are having a hard time dealing with today? And a lot of it has to do with um, the type of business, but a lot of businesses were in person before all this happened. Right. And it's very easy to build your culture there. It's very easy to lead by example by being within the same you know, building. However, in a time where people are trying to work virtually, sometimes it's more difficult to be able to connect to that person. Sometimes it's hard to be able to create that rapport or to lead them. And let's be honest, there's a lot of companies that either didn't make it through because of the pandemic or a lot of companies that are just barely getting by now because they didn't take the right steps in the first place. I'm, I'm lucky enough that the companies that I've been working with and that I'm working with currently were able to lean in and be aggressive at that time and not try to just survive and not run scared. And they were able to level up and now they're increasing by 25, 30, 35% compared to where they were even before things are starting to open back up. So that was something that was powerful, but that's the hardest part for so many people is thinking that, oh, well, I can just you know, see this person in the office and inspire them and motivate them. That's not enough, guys. You have to continually put that ethos into your culture. And whether that be a culture that has to be done in person or online, it has to be there. So if you don't have any sort of culture right now, if you don't have any true leadership right now, if you don't have a vision or a belief system that includes everybody and makes them excited about it, and all of a sudden you start working remotely, you're going to find people underperform. They underutilize what's capable. They underindex what they can do. And if you're trying to push them, they are not bought into what you're believing. And without that belief, they're just looking at you as a paycheck and that's not going to help them. That's not the people that you want. You want people that will actually self-select because they want to be a part of what you do, the change that you make, the difference that you're creating, the belief that you have that you cultivate in the rest of the world. And without that, it's going to be hard to find the right people to stick with you in those times of adversity. Mm. See, there's a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the audience that listens to this podcast is are entrepreneurs. A lot of them, it's a mix. Some of them have big businesses. Some of them are kind of in the starting off in the middle phase, right? What would be your, your number one tip to create this culture this belief in a team, you know, say like there's a leader listening or watching to this right now. And they're like, Oh, Marcus, that sounds so great. But how do I do that? Yeah. The first thing you have to do is if you're the leader, you have to take that leadership state seat. You have to become the CEO. So if you're a founder or a co-founder, lots of times we had this idea that's like, Oh, we've created this thing or this product or this service. And now I'm, I, I'm too busy. Now I want to hire these other people to help me. You hire two or three other people to help you. So if you're the person who has hired these people, in your mind, you're still thinking the way a first level person would, which is, hey, I've got a lot of work here. These people are helping me. But those people don't see you as that. They see you as the person that hired them. So you are by default, even if you don't want to be, you are the leader. And they take all of their cues off of how you lead, which means they take all of their actions based on how you act. Octonon verba, right? Deeds, not words. 
So if you're the kind of person who just acts like, you know, hey, everything's fine, blah, 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 blah. And you're not trying to cultivate these people into becoming better people or giving them a vision or giving them a why to why we're doing what we're doing. You're just like their buddy and we all work together. And then on Friday, we're all off. You're not doing what you could be doing. You have to start saying, okay, listen, I have a team of three people and a co-founder. Am I the CEO? Am I the COO? Am I in charge of operations? What am I doing? And then take that seat and address yourself, your actions, and the people under you from that place. And the more that you start doing that, the more you start taking this seriously, the more serious your business becomes. A lot of people are doing this as a side hustle or they're trying to check it out, but they're not committed. And what do we say at the beginning? There is one level of commitment and that is total. So you have to go all in on this thing. And the minute that people see that you're all in, they can feel it. Yeah. If you're, if you're full of shit, they're going to feel it too. And they may tolerate it for a paycheck, but you have to let them know why you're doing what you're doing. Leadership is simple. Leadership is creating a vision of what you want the world to be, walking boldly towards that vision. And other people that are so inclined will naturally follow you. That is it. Now you can talk about the semantics and the structure of what's necessary, but in the end, if you're not doing something that is really making you excited, that's really creating a change that just resonates with you so strongly that you have no other choice other than to take action on it, then you're kind of wasting your time. And I'm not saying that if you're, I'm not saying that if you have a business that you don't feel like it's changing the world, you still are changing people's lives. If you're doing technology, if you're doing you know, landscaping, that still changes people's lives. That gives people a feeling of, of peace, a feeling of, of happiness, a feeling of excitement, whatever the case may be. But if that is not something that you were truly already tapped into, you need to start figuring out what that is and then figuring out how to tap into that into your business right now. Because if you don't and something else goes sideways, you may not make it, you may not be here. And if that's the case, then all these lessons will be learned after the fact. And that's a tough time to learn. I I think you do you do. I'm I'm loving this by the way. Like I I have like all these questions where it's like I want to go more into your story, but I also know the value that you bring to the leaders that are listening to this right now. And the thing is, a lot of people may have checked out ten minutes ago because like oh now they're gonna talk about leadership. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't own a business. Here's the thing. Uh, yeah, Mark is already like yeah. You know, I you already know where I'm going with this. There's so many close intricacies with life, family, and business that it's so it, it's been overused and watered down. But it's it's so true. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. You take shortcuts in your family, you take shortcuts in your business, you're going to be taking shortcuts other places as well. That's exactly it. There's so many people that they want the shortcut, they want the easy way. And those are the people that don't understand that, frankly, the shortcut and the easy way is to just embrace that it's going to be hard. Mm. The minute that you realize that it's never, ever going to get easier, it gets easier. The minute that you realize you will have to work out for the rest of your life, that you will have to eat healthy for the rest of your life, that you will have to cultivate relationships important to the people that mean the most to you your entire life, it gets easier. But if you think that I'm just going to do this for one or two years, that's when you burn out. And here's the thing. And we've talked about this before. I have leaders. I have CEOs. I have athletes. I have actors that are coming to me and they're like, wow, you know, am I pushing hard enough? Can I push harder? How do I push harder, Marcus? And one, if they're asking me, can I push harder? That tells me 
that they're holding back. Mm-hmm. So what they have to ask themselves is not, how do I push harder? They have to ask themselves, am I doing this for the right reasons? Mm. And if you're doing something for the right reason, you will find there are many, many levels way above where we are right now. And you won't even question it because it makes sense, because it resonates, because it's true. But if you're just trying to do something to, again, keep up with the Joneses or keep up with social media or try to impress other people, listen, you will never get recognition from anything or anybody in your life that you respect until you no longer seek it, until you no longer care, until it's no longer important to you. If I'm saying to myself, oh, I hope so-and-so thinks I'm successful or recognizes me as being successful, I'm going after the wrong thing. If I just work my ass off and be true to myself and just dig deep and be authentic and try to give the best that I can and forget about worrying about what everybody else thinks, that's when a year later you have people to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, they want you on this podcast or you're a member of Arate or you're doing these things now. And it's like, that's a nice byproduct but it shouldn't change why the hell I'm doing what I'm doing. Everybody says you have to have a powerful why. That's fine. But you have to know yourself before you can do anything else in your life that's worth doing. So if I'm chasing somebody else's why, it doesn't help me. Mm. And a lot of CEOs, a lot of leaders are chasing somebody else's why, or they're taking a poll and seeing what everybody else wants and then trying to serve that. And if you do that, you will constantly be in a place of reaction. You will constantly be behind and you will constantly be off the mark because you're trying to shoot at something that you can't even see. When in reality, the target that you need is already inside you and you just have to be willing to do the work. And here's the beauty of adversity. It hacks away all the stuff that's not important and it gets right down to that. But you have to be willing to be uncomfortable in a lot of different ways to get to that place. And for me, I didn't have a choice. It happened to me. It hit me right in the face. And so when everything was taken away and it made me really look at what was important, I realized a lot of the stuff that I was doing wasn't. And that's why if you hear urgency in my voice now, that's what I'm trying to get across to you. If you listen to nothing else that I say today, remember, stop waiting, stop hesitating, stop compromising and start acting now. Because for everybody within the sound of our voices now, there will come a time when you will no longer be able to chase these dreams. There will come a time when physically you're not able to do these things. Mm. And that time is approaching much faster than you think. So if it's important, do it now. If it's powerful to you, tell that person you love them now. If you want to reconcile something, forgive that person now, even without them knowing you've done it. This is the stuff that gets you there. And again, what is this? This is leadership. Leadership is just being a good human on scale. And that is it. That's the truth, man. That is the truth. Marshall Goldsmith, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, the the most famous executive coach ever. He got paid a quarter of a million dollars per year to coach executives. He has a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And you would be surprised the simple things that he told people, which is, hey, basically don't be an asshole. Be respectful. Say thank you. Listen to this person. Let this person explain to you why they're not happy with this. Ask this person, honestly, hey, what am I doing? What can I do better? Where am I dropping the ball? Where are we all dropping the ball? And if you can be to that place where you let go of your arrogance and your hubris and just let go of your ego and let them tell you, they'll tell you what they need, but you have to be willing, one, to listen to it, and more importantly, two, adapt the behavior. And here's what you have to remember. A person's perception of you takes a lot longer to change than you do. 
If you come to me and say, Hey, Hey brother, listen, man, I just want to be honest with you, Marcus. I feel like you came across as this person arrogantly, or you weren't being whatever. I may be changing my behavior, but it may take, I may start changing my behavior right now, but it may take three to six months before you or the other person are able to even notice that I've changed it. So that's why change takes a lot of time. That's why 75 hard is powerful, right? It's about consistency. It's not about working out once. It's not about working out for a week. It's about doing it 75 days in a row, two a days, keeping a diet, all these things that we, that we do with this, this understanding of leveling up, this understanding of leaning into that adversity to force you because your adversity is your standard. That's the thing that doesn't change. Adversity doesn't change, but it changes everything. And you have to be willing to embrace and see what that change is. Because if you're not, you will constantly be beat down by it. And you will never find any kind of happiness, success, or fulfillment in your life. And that's the truth. Dude, are you sure you're not reading a script right now, brother? That was <laughs> way too good. Way. You should write a book or something, man. Yeah, you've... <laughs> It's like you wrote a book or something about this stuff, man. Seriously. I should. I should do a TEDx, right? <laughs> oh, man. And, and like you said, this is the stuff that, again, this is what leadership is about. This is when you're talking to that person and, and they're trying to tell you, hey, you know, I'm having trouble with my business. It's like, okay. And then you listen to them and then you're like, okay, let's start really poking holes in this and really being honest. Mm-hmm. And then they realize as a leader, there are no bad teams. There are only bad leaders. There are no bad companies. There are only bad leaders. So it's about taking radical accountability, being honest, calling yourself on your own bullshit, not being butthurt about it and saying, okay, what am I willing to do to change this? Am I more, am I more concerned about being right? Or am I more concerned about actually changing people's lives? And if your company changes people's lives, then you can put your ego down at the door and actually do what needs to be done. And a lot of times that means being there for your team, doing everything that you need to do to build that culture. And that's it. See, brother, you, you've been so pivotal in my growth as a leader, as a man, um, because you're the you, you're that person I called. Like I said in the beginning when I did your introduction, you were part of the leadership council at Modern Fitness. It came to a point where I was literally just trying to live up to other people's expectations. And it took me a while to get that. And it was something like because I had you know, started off my career in the fitness industry and I, I just had this identity so close to me of being in fitness that I, I didn't realize till like the last year that I was holding on to that fitness identity because of other people. Other people said I was good at it. People said I could be successful. People saw me successful in it. But because I held on to that, I wasn't able to really tap into my true self because I was just trying to please everybody else. And I wasn't being unapologetically me until you sat me down and you're like, all right, radical honesty, no bullshit. What do we got to do next? And I was like, no bullshit. You know, like seriously. Right. And, and then we had, a, we, I mean, I don't know how many hours we've spent on the phone, but I know it's a lot. And that's why I say it's so important to have people like you, people who are going to push you to be uncomfortable, people who are going to take you deeper than you're willing to go yourself. Because when we're in our own minds, we'll go maybe this deep. And, and people listening right now, I'm kind of like at my shoulder level. But when you have other people with you, it makes you feel a little bit safer to go deeper 
and go lower. So when I have people like Marcus in my circle, not, not just in my business, but in my life, he forces me to look at these hard questions and ask myself the truth. And when I try to get in there and just answer real quick and get out, Marcus holds my hand like, no, 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 buddy. Let's, let's, let's look at that again. That's what it is. They're the especially like a CEO, especially people at a high level, athletes, any actors, whoever. Yes. They are surrounded by people that are yes men. They're yes. surrounded by people that don't want them to feel uncomfortable, that want to acknowledge them and want to say everything's great. And yeah. they need that coach. They need me to be able to come in there and say, I'm going to tell you what they're not saying. I'm going to tell you what's really going on. I'm going to call you on your bullshit. And I'm going to keep pointing it out to you until you start seeing it. Not in a mm. mean way just in a very honest way and just ask them that question, just like we were asking you, no bullshit, what needs to happen next? And that's when you start going, oh. And that's when you start to get close to what the truth is and that's what it takes. So for me, by being that person that can actually shoot through all of that and say, listen, here's the thing that you're acting like you don't know, mm -hmm. that you do know. Here's the thing that you're still doing that you shouldn't be doing. Here's the thing that you're not doing that you should be. And if we're honest, you know this. Oh, yeah. So if we corroborate that and point it out to them and just hold that mirror up, that's when the truth comes out. Because, again, adversity shows up unannounced at the most inopportune time without apology. It couldn't care less about what you want. It doesn't give a damn about your feelings. And it doesn't take no for an answer. And for many people, adversity is simply the truth of what's going on. And that's it. There's so many more things I want to talk to you about. That's why, uh, you know, I'm, you're going to have to come back on and uh, Absolutely, have to man, do another, another episode because there's so many things. I know people are probably like wanting to hear more of your story. And some other people are like, oh, man, that leadership stuff was really good. Oh, dude, this adversity stuff was really good. Listen, this is one of the reasons why I endorse Marcus 110%. Because I trust this man with my life. Like real talk, I've told Marcus stuff that I haven't told many people. And it's, it's one of the reasons why him and I get along so well is because I believe he went to a dark place. I went to a dark place. And because we've touched that darkness, we understand that when you come out of that darkness, you don't come back the same. And when you see that other person and you meet other people that have been there, that have done that, that have gone through and been challenged with adversity... You just relate with them differently. And Marcus is my brother for life. So how can people get a, a hold of you, bro? How can they connect with you? How can they get your book, you know, m hear more about your story, your TEDx? How can, how can they do all that? Absolutely. I mean, the Audible version of my book, The Gift of Adversity, Overcoming Paralysis and Pain to Find Purpose is on Audible. You can find my book on Amazon, get on Kindle or the, the regular physical book. Um, you can find the Gift of Adversity of my TEDx talk on YouTube or on the TED website. Uh, if you go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com, it'll have all those things and more resources. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Facebook or reach out, you know, somewhere in there and just give me sort of an idea of if this was powerful for you, what was powerful? Why was it powerful? What resonated with you? Because for most people, adversity is the thing that gets our attention. But if there was something that I said that changed your life, then chances are other people need to know about that because it will change their life. And if you can share your experience with them, 
whether it be from this or whatever you're doing in your life. That's what will help people really start making the change. And then my podcast is called Octa Non Verba. Octa Non Verba is Latin for the phrase. It means deeds, not words. And that's what I did. I just cut right back to where I needed to be, right back to the quick and said, you know, no bullshit. What do I need to do? And that's how I'm where I'm at now. So thank you so much for having me, brother. It's been an honor always. Always an, a pleasure to talk to you. It's nice to record it for once. You know, yeah. we, we have all these conversations and we get some good <laughs> stuff, but now everybody else gets to hear it too. Exactly. That's the point of this whole thing, man. So I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you. You know, I, I got so much love and respect for you, man. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being the leader for your family. And congratulations, by the way, you oh. recently just got married. Yes. So yes. there's so many great things happening in your life. So everyone, make sure you're following Marcus. You know, you'll, you'll be able to catch up on the things he's doing, like the 4448. That was awesome. You know, I wish uh, I was able to kind of interview you in the middle of that. But I also know this dude's busy. He's not going to pick up any calls in, during that 48. So it, it's all good. I'll call him after. Um, but I'm glad we did, we did record this. And I'm glad to share your message and continue to share um, this podcast with the world. So thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Can't wait to do it again. Thank you, my friend. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I hope that you enjoyed the show. Make sure you follow me at angelolilock.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-O-L-I-L-O-C. You'll receive our weekly newsletters, any updates, any events, giveaways, all that kind of stuff every week straight to your inbox. All right. We want to make sure that it's easy and convenient for you. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.